As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. Lending is a commodity in some respect in the sense of there are many, many options to choose from and they all have pretty similar terms. Not usually like one bank's offering you 25% loan to value and the other one's offering you 90% loan to value. Best ever listeners, I want to mention Lima One Capital and I found out about them through a guest that I was interviewing on the show and he mentioned how he was scaling his business. He was actually buying 10 single family homes within one year and I asked him, how were you able to buy 10 single family homes and how were you financing that? He's like, oh, well, I just use an asset based lender. I was like, who is that? And he told me it's Lima One Capital. I reached out to them afterwards, got to know them, and they are the sponsor of today's episode because they've got some unique lending programs. Uh, one of them is called Rental 30, where, as I mentioned, they're an asset-based lender. So they're lending based on the property's appraised value, as well as they look at the down payment that you're bringing to the table and the cash reserves. Uh, They'll lend up to 75% loan to value. And this is huge. This is huge because typically as a single family investor, uh, your lending uh, strength is based on your personal income as well as how many properties you have, how many loans you have out. There's no restrictions on portfolio size with their Rental 30 program. Go to lima1capital.com forward slash best ever sign up learn more about the program that's lima1capital.com forward slash best ever they also have a program for fix and flippers even if you haven't done a fix and flip they'll still lend to you they've been in the business uh, since 2010 so they've been around the block they know their underwriting guidelines they're not loosey-goosey but they do have a very specific uh, criteria um, that helps beginning fix and flippers get their fix and flip projects done as well as experienced fix and flippers they reward you as an experienced fix fix and flipper and you actually get a lower interest rate and lower origination fee again go to lima1capital.com forward slash best ever and some legal stuff i have to say it is lima one capital llc and the NMLS ID number is 1324403. And their address is 201 East McBee Avenue, Suite 300, Greenville, South Carolina, 29601. Again, lima1capital.com forward slash best ever. 
if you're looking for a fix and flip loan or if you're looking for a buy and hold investment property and you're trying to finance it and you want it to be asset based lima1capital.com forward slash best ever best ever listeners how you doing welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show i'm joe Fairless. this is a show where we cut out the fluffy stuff we don't talk about it we only talk about the best advice that moves your business forward and we've spoken to robert kiyosaki the author rich dad poor dad obviously you know that the uh, let's see shark tank um st- one of the shark tank stars barbara corcoran Jay Papazon, the co-author of The One Thing with Gary Keller, Tom Wheelwright, who is just really insightful when it comes to taxes and and um, wealth pre- preservation. Go check out that episode, Tom Wheelwright, Joe Fairless, just Google it. I should definitely start figuring out what episode that is so I can just tell you that episode. But uh, until then, go Google his name, my name, and then the show will pop up. With us today, we've got an experienced real estate investor, developer, and previous best ever guest. How you doing, Mark Massier? Hey, great, Joe. Thanks for having me. Nice to have you on the show, my friend. And oh, I didn't even tell the best ever listeners. Uh, enjoy, I hope you're enjoying the weekend. Happy Saturday. And because it's Saturday, we're doing a special segment. That's why we've got a returning best ever guest. We're going to do Situation Saturday, where Mark is going to walk us through the story of a very sticky situation he was in and how he has overcome it with hundreds of thousands of dollars at stake. And a little bit about Mark, and then he'll get into it. He's the president and CEO of Massey Development and has over 13 years of experience in real estate. He's ba- his company's based in New York City, New York. Prior to forming his company, he was in charge of developing over 2,500 residential units and multiple retail and mixed-use properties with a total portfolio of over $1.1 billion. That's what the B He's presently an adjunct professor at NYU teaching real estate development principles and practices as well as advanced real estate financial modeling. You can say hi to him at his website, which is in the show notes link. And with that being said, Mark, well, let's I'll let you just kick it off and, and tell a little bit about what you're focused on now and then just roll right into your, your situation. Great introduction. Don't have a ton to add, but I guess just what we're focused on now. Uh, we started the company in 2006, so just about 10 years now. I've uh, been investing in retail and medical office uh, almost exclusively for the last uh, four or five years. Prior to that, had done a lot of multifamily investments, but all all in the commercial real estate space. Never done the single family flipping or or single family investing, which is interesting because that seems to be how most people started. I unfortunately didn't didn't get that start. I, I jumped right into working with a developer right out of college, so just had a different tact. But it's it's interesting to hear all the. All the previous episodes that, that you have here, I think there's some great stories there. Before you, why do you say unfortunately you didn't get that start? Well, I think it, it's more entrepreneurial. I, I went more, you know, I worked for a small company, so I got a taste of the entrepreneurship, but I, I didn't really get to be an entrepreneur for, you know, five years later. So it got just it. kind of was always sort of nagging at me. Whereas a lot of these people I've heard on your podcast that have said, hey, I just went out there and did my first deal. It's like, yeah, I think that's that's more exciting. It'll be coming <laughs> retrospectively more exciting, you know, kind of looking back. Got it. It's a, little, a lot scrappier, I imagine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but that, I mean, that's good. I think that's how <laughs> that's how I've I've learned a lot of what I've learned. So, yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So currently, in our portfolio is like 88 properties, so just over two million square feet, 500 million dollars of uh, of total value. Um, so you know, kind of grown um, pretty pretty good pace there since since we started, and you know 
the the property that or sort of the the, the deal that I wanted to talk about as far as our situ a sticky situation. If uh, if if you'll let me uh, dive into that now, yeah, we were working on what we do is we we invest nationwide, so we cover um, about two hundred plus markets, uh, cities that we like. Look at about three thousand properties a year to find the sort of six or so deals that we do. So like a point two percent hit rate on most of the stuff that we look at is typically what we what we get, which is you know very very low. So when we find a deal that we like, it's a real sort of you know all hands on deck, push it through and make sure it happens at all costs. Uh, you know, assuming it's as good as we think it is. The property that we were working on was a, a thirty thousand square foot medical office building in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, with an excellent uh, medical practice and a couple of uh, lab tenants and things like that. So so uh, not a single tenant, but 10-year leases, stuff like that. So great quality property, great quality tenants, amazing location right in the heart of their medical district. The property is about $4 million, so not not a huge deal, but you know not a super small deal either. And typically, we structure these with uh, CMBS financing, commercial mortgage-backed security financing, which is more of a, a securitized product, so not a traditional bank loan. I'm sure many people are familiar with it. It's nothing special, but it's just a different type of loan. And uh, you have sort of a less relationship-driven experience mm-hmm. than you would with a traditional lender. So we knew that going in, and we've done this many, many times, so it wasn't our first time working with that structure. But I just thought it was important to set the scene because it's it's a little different dealing with a CMBS lender than a traditional lender. This particular transaction, one of our largest equity investors brought us a new bank, and they said, hey, you don't have to use them, no pressure at all, but why don't you talk to them because they've had amazing terms and we've had great experiences working with them in the past. Um, and so I, I like and trust this equity investor. So I said, of course, yeah, happy to happy to talk to anybody that, that you recommend. Um, mm-hmm. So so we, we did that. We we spoke with them and got got terms from them in conjunction with the other banks that we usually work with and other groups. So, you know, we always get sort of four or five bank quotes out there. And this was just one of the mix. It turned out that they had amazing terms. I mean, they had <laughs> 70, 77 percent loan to value, which, you know, in our market is pretty unheard of to get much higher than 75. A lot of times you'll get 70. So 77 was like an amazing, crazy you know, deal. The rate was really low in the low 4% rate at the time. Uh, it was fully non-recourse, which all CMBS is is pretty much non-recourse. So, you know, we were really excited about it, but, you know, it was still a little, even though it had come from a reference, still wanted to be a little bit more secure because, again, it looked looked like a really phenomenally better deal than all the other deals we had out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, I called a bunch of friends that have, uh, you know, some mortgage broker friends and other friends who have used uh, this, well, not friends, but people that had used the bank that they'd given us as references and everything checked out. Everyone, you know, enjoyed working with the bank, had a good experience, nothing bad to say. So we felt great about moving forward. So that's what we ended up doing. And obviously our, our equity partner that made the suggestion was pleasantly surprised and everything was, was progressing as, as normal. With CMBS, because it's non-recourse, there's a probably twice or three times the amount of underwriting that's done by the bank in terms of due diligence items they request, information that they request from the seller, all types of things, which we've actually found in some ways to be a great benefit because it forces us to be on the top of our A-game in terms of getting information, reviewing information, requesting information, having details about the property. But that also causes a lot of problems because a lot of sellers are not super sophisticated and don't keep the perfect records that the CMBS uh, you know, markets require. 
So, you know, it brings a little bit of pain sometimes, and sometimes we can't use it, uh, but but also we found it to be somewhat of a, a benefit. I mean, we're always happy to find and work a little harder to find more information prior to buying it so that we don't make a mistake. So in a lot of ways, we found that to be, be helpful. Uh, and that was certainly the case here. There was a lot of questions, a lot of phone calls, a lot of digging in details uh, line by line uh, through expenses, stuff like that, you know, way more than a normal uh, lender typically does in our experience. The other challenge that you kind of need to understand a little bit about CMBS, for those of you who haven't used that type of lending before, aren't familiar, uh, there's an, a ton of extra costs. So, you know, you may get a better rate or you may get some better terms, but there's also a lot more legal expenses, a lot more um, due diligence expenses. They, they outsource a lot of their due diligence. Um, so, you know, normally a bank would take the appraisal and all these sort of traditional third parties and they would review it internally. In this case, a lot of times they take that out of house and have somebody else do it and and you as the borrower have to pay for that, not not the bank. So essentially I'm paying for their employees for, for all intents and purposes, mm-hmm. like their salaries as well as all these other things. We know all this. We've done this a number of times, but if you haven't done that, just be aware that that's sort of part of the deal is, you know, your legal costs minimally is going to be $30,000 from the bank. And that's if you if you get an easy deal. I mean, we've had bank we've had bank legal be in upwards of sixty thousand dollars, and that's what you're paying. You're paying that they're not paying their own legal expenses, and that's on top of your own legal. So that's not even including whatever your, your attorney mm-hmm. charges you to to negotiate the documents and review them and whatnot. So anyway, j- just setting the scene to understand like how how much of an involved process this is and how detailed we were getting and how much money we were spending kind of, you know, on the due diligence side, much more than a normal deal, you know, where you just have a contract deposit and your own legal, there's all these extra costs that are racking up and racking up. But again, you know, very familiar happens all the time. Nothing, nothing, no red flags here. And as we're working through the deal, this is going on for around 60 days, you know, so it's a lot of back and forth, a lot of questioning uh, information we're sending. And, And we start to notice that on some of these calls there with the bank, there's some duplicate questions. You know, we were just asked the same thing last week and they said, hey, we never got this information and we didn't understand this or that. And we're like, guys, we literally had this exact same conversation last week. Like, I don't understand. Are we not explaining it correctly? Or, you know, you know, I'm not perfect, but I, I know we had this conversation. So if you're not understanding it, either I'm not communicating it appropriately or you're not listening or something, but it, something's not working here. So that was kind of the first cracks in the facade that we had any semblance that, you know, things were not necessarily going our traditional route. Usually, you know, the banks we deal with are, are extremely intelligent. They do this all the time. And this bank too, I mean, they do this all the time. They do hundreds and hundreds of these loans every year. So it's not like, any one deal is anything special or hard for them. It's usually pretty straightforward, run-of-the-mill type stuff, which is why we like dealing with them. This kind of seemed a little different. Um, and so I, I brought it up and said, hey, is there something going on? Or are we missing something? You know, sort of in an offline conversation, mm-hmm. didn't want to throw that in front of everybody's face. And they said, no, no, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, we just misunderstood. But it kept happening with a regular occurrence where they didn't understand some major important parts of the of the deal. Like, you know, they were like, hey, what is this lab tenant that you have here? We thought it was just this other tenant. And we're like, guys, like you have had the rent roll for 60 days. Like, how do you not understand this, that mm-hmm. there's other tenants besides just the one? So anyway, those were concerns. But, you know, we we kind of it was it was two weeks out when these things started really happening from closing. And at that point, you're really pretty much on autopilot. You know, I mean, we've done all the hard, heavy due diligence. It's now just kind of getting to closing all the you know, all the signatures have to come in, all the documents that have to be prepped by the lawyers. So there's not a whole lot of surprises that have ever come in our experience at this time. So, you know, we, we don't think much of it. And then day of closing, fast oh, forward no. a little bit, you know, literally day of closing, not no, not not 12 hours before, not, no, it's 8 a.m. day of closing. 
and I get a call from the bank. My and... stomach's turning right now, by the way, <laughs> just for you. Okay, go ahead. I appreciate it. Yeah. The sympathy pains. I yeah, I do. <laughs> like literally, I have pains in my stomach. Okay. So they call me up and they say, uh, hey, we got a little situation. And I go, okay, you know, that stuff happens. You always get kind of, you know, seller gets cold feet and wants to have a conversation with you or, or something. So, so you know, I don't, I'm not, not sweating yet, right? I'm just saying, okay, yeah, let's talk about it. What, what do you got, you know? And they say, well, you know, we, we had some problems with underwriting and some other things and we're not going to be able to do the loan. And I'm like, what, what do you mean you're not going to be able to do? We're closing today. Like, what do you mean? Like, there's never been an indication that you had any problems with anything along the way. Like, why all of a sudden day of closing do you decide to bring this up? They hem and they haw and they, you know, blame other people, make excuses, whatever. I mean, I think they, you know, they weren't trying to be bad guys. I, I'm not, I'm sort of, you know, glossing over it. But I guess my point was the end result was there was nothing substantive there that they could mm -hmm. point to that said this is why this happened or this is, you know, what you did wrong or anything like that. They were basically just giving excuses to kind of, you know, placate the situation. But the end result was <laughs> there was nothing I could do, they, they said in the end. I mean, I tried 50 different ideas. I said, what if we do this? What if we do that? You know, but the end result was they said, look, we can't do the loan under any circumstances unless you do these three things. And I said, okay, well, what are those three things? That that sounds like a positive movement in this in this bad situation. So let's see what they are, you know. And they said, well, we need to lower the loan proceeds by half a million dollars. So you need to come up with another half a million dollars of equity today because we're closing today. <laughs> and you need to have a rate of 100 uh, basis points higher. So essentially one extra percent, a whole percent on the loan. So it was like low fours, now it is low fives interest rate. So, you know, those two things by themselves were catastrophic. I mean, you can't, uh, you know, we have a lot of great big investors, you know, we work with, you know, billion dollar families and it's hard enough to raise, you know, a few 25, 50, hundred thousand dollars, like last minute, let alone half a million dollars on a $4 million deal. It just was not possible. And, and worse than that is, oh, raise another half a million dollars at lower returns because our rate just got higher. So it's like you really like, cut me off right at the knees there by, by having that happen to me. And then the third thing they wanted is they said, by the way, we need an extra two weeks to close. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, we're here. If I can give you these other two things, which I probably can't, but even if I can, I definitely can't give you two more weeks because this is the last day we contractually are allowed to close under the original purchase contract we have with the seller. And they're like, well, you know, long story short, nothing they could do is essentially how they came back. So I'm I'm sitting there sort of stuck, you know, feeling like I just got kicked in the stomach real hard mm. and uh, and and don't really know what to do. So I call the seller, you know, um, who had been a really, really nice guy, put up with a lot of the, you know, the back and forth that that a lot of sellers probably wouldn't have, you know, because it, it's it's a lot of pain for them. And they're you know, they're just planning on selling the building and making it easy. They're not planning on answering crazy bank questions and the bank had you know intimate questions about their business and how how they were working so it wasn't just like questions about the real estate it was like well how many doctors do you have and what's their financial situation and all this kind of crazy stuff so anyway we go back to the seller and i say hey look like we're not closing today but we need two more weeks and he goes you know i really like you you've been really upfront and nice about everything he's like but honestly it's been 60 days to get to this point and I've had so much hassle and headache. I really just don't think I have it in me for another two more weeks. He's like, I, I don't think we're going to do the deal. So I'm doubly kicked in the stomach now. I'm mm -hmm. devastated, essentially, right? Because I've raised all the equity. Everything's ready to go. We spent all this money. And he's basically telling me it can't happen. So you know, I never take no for an answer the first time. So I, I say, let me, let me fly out there and meet with you tomorrow. And we'll, we'll discuss this. So I hop on a plane, head out to Omaha. 
and and meet the seller face to face and try to see if we can work something out. And he really just has this sort of beaten, downtrodden sort of uh, aura about him at this point. He's just like, I'm real tired. I just wanted this to be easy. He's like, I've worked too hard already to make this happen. Somebody else uh, who was interested in the property came back and found out that we were having trouble and said, you know, I'll pay you all cash. I'll close in 30 days. You won't have to go through any of this hassle. I'll actually pay you $100,000 more than your current deal is. He says, you know, it's not nothing personal, Mark. It's just business. I'm going to go with this other this mm-hmm. other offer. And, you know, honestly, I was obviously destroyed inside, but I, I don't blame him. I mean, I, he right. wasn't trying not. to be a jerk about it. He was just trying to sell his property. And, and you know, we had not intentionally, but we had not performed under the contract that we told him we would. So essentially at this point, it's over, right? I mean, there, there's really nothing else I can do. And how because, much have you spent at this so, point? So right. So, so <laughs> the real brass tax of it all is is roughly around two hundred and fifty thousand dollars of our money, of, of Massey development money, not of investor money. So no investor money was lost. I want to be real clear about that. We've been fortunate enough to never have lost investor dollars on any of our properties or, or deals that we've done or even failed deals that we've done. It's always been our money. We're also not a super, you know, multi-billion dollar cash reserve company. You know, $250,000 is, is a lot of money to us. What it, were the big it, buckets of that? Like if you categorize that 250 yeah, right. So, so fifty thousand of it was legal for their bank. Thirty some thousand was ours. So a lot of it was legal. Um, we had bank deposits that we'd put down, like you know twenty five grand um, as sort of a you know prepaid points kind of stuff and contract deposit on. An, we were actually doing this in conjunction with another property. So we th- this property because we didn't move forward and the seller canceled the contract. He returned our deposit, but we had another contract deal that was sort of tied to this, and and we weren't able to perform on that one. So we lost the deposit there. Uh, we had third party reports, obviously extensive third party, as I mentioned, travel costs. So those were kind of the the big expenses. But yeah, added up to around two fifty. And you know, there's actually still some <laughs> some costs about a year later coming in that are you know still having to be dealt with and stuff. So, and not, will you educate me on how another property was tied to this? Yeah, yeah. So I was trying to hope, uh, trying to avoid a little bit of the complexity, but uh, so what, what we level. did. Sure, sure, sure. So quickly, <laughs> what we did is we we cross collateralized, which is nothing more fancy than getting one loan for two properties. There was some strategic business decisions made on our side that said we'll blend the risk of this property being low risk with another high risk, higher risk property to kind of have a an average risk return, but raise the returns on this uh, you know low risk deal a little higher. So you know we took like let's say it was an eight percent return deal by bringing this higher risk deal and we brought it to a ten percent return. Mm, okay, uh, and it gave a little bit of diversity to the bank. It gave a little bit of diversity to our investors. But they had to close at the same time, essentially, or or pretty close to it. And so when this deal fell apart, yeah, we got our contract deposit back from this one, which is great. But we didn't get the one back from the other one because he says, hey, your other deal backing out is not my fault, not my problem. And he Mm -hmm. was totally correct. So it was kind of a a big disaster on that side as well. So got it. Yeah, that's uh, that's the cross collateralized part of it. I guess that that was basically the <laughs> the end of that story. I think from the, the lessons learned standpoint, I mean, I think some of the things that we took away, which hopefully other people can learn from and not not repeat the same you know dumb mistakes that we made. You know, banks really are commodities in some respect. You know, the lending is a commodity in some respect, uh, in the sense of you know there are many many options to choose from, and they all have pretty similar terms, right? It's not usually like one bank's offering you 25% loan to value and the other one's offering you 90% loan to value. There's very nominal differences between the different banks. So in a lot of senses, we thought, and and most people still think that it is a commodity. I mean, technically it probably is, 
But what I found reality wise, you're taking on risk when you look at it that way that you may not have considered. And we certainly didn't consider, which specifically, I mean, there are relationships that that do matter and people being, um, you know, sort of stand up and, and following through on what they say they will do is a huge benefit and, and potentially a huge risk if they don't do that. Right. And so in mm-hmm. this case, the CMBS lender we were working with told us they could do a lot of great things. What they could actually do was significantly worse. And we weren't pricing that risk into their deal. You know, we were just looking at saying, well, 77 is better than 75% loan to value. And, you know, 4.25% rate is better than 4.35% rate. So that's better. Let's just do that. But we didn't factor in, okay, this is a bank we've never worked with. You know, they may have some issues or problems or things that come up. That thought never honestly even crossed my mind. Once I had checked references and, and, and they'd come from someone I trusted, I just assumed everything was going to go correctly uh, as planned. And obviously (laughs) that didn't turn out to be the case. So I think that's a lesson we've learned is that we've really started to value more consistency in our relationships. So people who have performed, I mean, we always value our our existing relationships to some extent, but banking wasn't one that I put high on the list because Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, it's very difficult to, you know, I also don't want to just give a deal to a banker because I know them because sometimes you end up getting a really bad deal because they're not interested in doing deals that month or something, which we've experienced in the past. I think we're much more sensitive to um, working with people that we've worked with in the past. And if things are just a little bit better, probably not go for that, you know, tiny little improvement to go with an unknown entity, probably just stick with the bank we have. And I think also, like, if things are too good to be true, they probably are. Yeah. So we had never seen a 77% loan-to-value deal on on this type of deal from CMBS. Warning bells, retrospectively, should have been going off in my head. I didn't, at the time, think anything differently. But, uh, you know, now going back, I'd say, you know, that's a big <laughs> that's a big lesson learned. It's a basic one, but a big mm-hmm. lesson learned. And then I think the last one is, is the B team. Um, you know, I think this bank is still a great bank. We'll never work with them again, but I, I still think they're a great bank. But I think it, it matters who you get at that bank, right? And I think we were dealing with their brand new sort of B team because they were too busy on other bigger deals to pay attention to ours. And I think that had a lot to do with why things fell through the cracks, why things were so hard, and, and ultimately probably why things didn't go up the food chain enough to get approved so that at the 11th hour we had all those problems. Those are the big sort of learning lessons. I think the the resolution, the the upside, the positive that came out of all this, besides just learning, which learning is always good, and I'm I'm a huge, uh, you know, learn from your mistakes kind of person. But the upside is real estate is such a people business. While we were out in in Omaha reviewing this property, we had interviewed a, a property manager who I really liked, and we were going to hire to run this property for us, a local property manager. It turned out that they had uh, access to a property that pretty much was off market and he sort of pitched it to me a few months later after while we were working on this deal still. And, uh, it was a great deal, you know, amazing deal that I would have not seen otherwise. Cause like I said, it wasn't on the market. We ended up putting that under contract and, and, you know, in, in about 30, 45 days from now, we'll be closing on that. And all of that, because I, I had this relationship with this person I interviewed for this past deal. So from that, exa- from that relationship, this new deal came out of it. And, you know, it's a, it's an exciting retail property for sale uh, that, the, like I said, is for, up for investment right now, closing about 45 days. It's, um, you know, roughly about a 10 percent return year one. So 
pretty high returns on, on a retail property in today's market. And we're doing exciting things with it, testing out a new uh, investment model where we're allowing people to invest as little as $5,000. And, you know, we're investing 20% of our own money in it. So there's a high, um, you know, high investment of ours because we love the deal. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we've been phenomenally successful at raising for this deal. It's, uh, there's only 20% of the total equity left. So we're really excited. And it seems like a lot of our investors have been excited about it too. So that, that's all positive stuff that came out of this sort of really, really dark place. And you are uh, obviously talking about the deal on my show, a public forum, because you're allowed to because it's a 506C, right? Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. And so we explained that, you know, and I know you're not a securities expert, you're a real estate (laughs) investor, but just from what you know, the difference between 506B and 506C and kind of how you're able to do this, because we were talking earlier and you, you have an ad out in the newspaper about this too, because you're able to talk about that, right? Yeah, yeah. So we we found that uh, most people like to uh, we we invest nationwide, but we find a lot of people really get excited about investing in their backyard. So we we want to attract local Omaha investors mm-hmm. or Nebraskans to this uh, deal because it is located in their backyard, and we'd like to know more people in that state. We don't know a lot from there. Most of our investors are east or west coast right now, and so yeah, we placed an ad in the paper, and and obviously the the sort of from 1930s until you know two three years ago. You could never talk about our, our, our deals to anyone. You basically could say, uh, I'm a real estate investor. And if you want to know more, I have to know you before I can tell you anything about it. And, and it's not a real effective way to, to meet new people and to find new investors and to allow people into your you know, investment platform. But luckily, two years ago, um, with the Jobs Act and, and things going into, into process, there were a bunch of new regulations that started. Uh, the first one was 506C, which is really just a, a code in the uh, in the SEC. And again, I'm not an expert attorney, but that's just what it's called. The old way was 506B. That's the traditional way that everybody raises money for real estate. And and the new way is 506C. And it's essentially exactly the same thing, except you can talk about anything openly. You can, you can, talk about your deals, you can talk about the returns, you can talk about the specifics. And the restrictions are you have to have the only accredited investors. So only, um, you know, the the traditional model of a million dollars in net worth, not including your house or $200,000 a year in income or 300,000 if you're married. That's one exclusion and and restriction. I personally don't love that. I want to be able to have all investors be able to invest because I don't think it's it's fair to just open things up to the rich. But, you know, for now, this is kind of the best thing we have. And it allows me to talk openly and to have ads in the paper, do all that kind of stuff, which is great because it allows people to know about it, right? Because in the past, people have told me, oh, I'd love to invest in that last deal, but I didn't know about it. And it's like, well, I couldn't tell you about it, you know, and that can. And, and so it's a really exciting thing. And definitely talk to your securities attorney. You're going to need to find somebody who's a little bit more on the on the cutting edge of things because it's it's so new. And when we first, we used to work, use a really big white shoe law firm on a security side and they, they weren't comfortable with it. They didn't understand it. And so they wouldn't let us basically do it, essentially, even if we paid them tons of money. So we found a, a great attorney, excellent attorney who who knows a lot about this and has helped us navigate this process. And so, yeah, we're really excited about it. And I think it's hopefully a good opportunity for for many of your listeners and, and most people in real estate. Here's the $250,000 question. Do you have a lender lined up for this new property <laughs> that you, that <laughs> you have you a relationship for, with? <laughs> thank you for putting it that way. That <laughs> makes me feel great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, we do have a lender. We've uh, we've aligned up, and we do have a relationship with them. Not as deep as uh, as some of the others we've worked with, but definitely a good, solid lender that uh, actually is currently the lender on the property. So it's a little easier for them to understand, and they're local to the market. They're they're a Nebraska-based uh, lender, so a lot less um, 
hassle when you deal with somebody who actually drives an hour and they're at the property as opposed to somebody in New York who's never seen the property or something like that. Well, Mark, if uh, best ever listeners interested, then where should they go and how can they learn more about this? We've set up a new sort of part of our website uh, for people who are interested in finding out more. It's just invest.masciadev.com. So it's M-A-S-C-I-A-D-E-V.com. And then uh, our my email, you can email me anytime, any questions or anything I can do to help. Mark, M-A-R-K, at masciadev.com as well. Awesome. Well, wonderful lessons learned. Thank you for for sharing. I'm sure this is probably kind of painful uh, <laughs> <laughs> to share at least uh, at least it's probably getting a little bit better now that you have an opportunity that came out of it versus you know the, the day after when closing was supposed to happen but boy I'm, I'm really grateful I know the best ever listeners are grateful that you shared your story and got very detailed with the numbers and timing and now what the lessons you learned the three lessons that you talked about is one while banks might uh, on the surface be a commodity boy is it about relationships in this business and especially with the 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 debt side of things um as as you get more and more in into deals and bigger dollars because if if we get a call on closing day and that happens i mean that might just wipe a company off the face of the earth in some cases so i'm really glad to hear that you all were able to uh, withstand that humongous blow and then come out stronger. And then two that you mentioned is if it's too good to be true, then it probably is. And you referenced the the rate and the you know the loan to value of seventy seven percent. And then three is make sure that we're working with the A team. And um, I mean, you checked the references and that that worked out uh, or that checked out. But really, you know, making sure that the the team members that you're working with have the right experience and it's not just institution, but it's your day-to-day and the people that you're working with. And, and then um, you know, the lesson that you didn't learn is that something can come out of a situation that uh, isn't desirable. And you, know, you're, you're, you talked about the deal that you're working on right now in Omaha and um, you know, with, with the investor returns and the, the opportunity for you know, other uh, best ever listeners to check that out. So thank you so much for being on the show. I will have that link in the show notes page for the best ever listeners to check out. Hope you have a best ever weekend and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Joe. Best ever listeners, Matt Bowles, who was a guest on episode 289. His company, Maverick Investor Group, has a special report just for you on how to avoid the seven biggest mistakes in real estate that investors make in the 2016 boom cycle. Get yours free at maverickinvestorgroup.com forward slash best ever. That's M-A-V-E-R-I-C-K investorgroup.com forward slash best ever.